All right, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to go. Last week we only took bit off two verses, and I feel like those verses were challenging uh, from the, the, the words of Jesus. Sometimes because they are so challenging, we read a lot of verses and we just kind of like put it all together in a big mush and move on. And I felt like if we take this little by little, because we're really, this first chunk here, we're dividing it into three sections, even though it's all one chunk, because there's so much here, and it's so deeply confronting to us, and I hope that it is confronting to you, and I hope that we will, the, this whole thing starts off with, blessed are these people, and blessed are these people, blessed are, and then, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, so go be it. And then he starts to get into these things about how we are different than the world in which we live. And I hope that this challenges us and shakes us free from some of the influences we have around us in the world to make us live like salt and light in this world. I hope that it does. So we're going to talk today about leaving a church, a reason that Jesus gives us to leave a church. Now, so let me ask you, just real talk here. We're just, it's just us here. Nobody else is here. How many of us have, at one time or another, left a church that we once attended? All right, so everybody. All right, and the, the ones who are sleeping, we'll just say they raise their hands too. It's fine. We all have probably come upon a time where, for one reason or another, we left a church. And I will say right at the beginning, there are reasons that we need to pick up and go. There are times where it is clearly God's plan and God's will for me to go from one place to another. Uh, whether it's a, a, a regional move, I've moved far away, or, or there is some problem that I've tried to adjust, address in a, in a church that just can't seem to get fixed. But I would say, I think the church of Jesus Christ takes moving from one church to the next very, very lightly. I think we're pretty flippant about it. Because it's more and more simple from us to, for us to just pick up and move from one church because there are challenges there. Because another church, those challenges aren't there. And we can just start with a clean slate. And if you've ever been a part of that, I, I've been to a few churches in my life, probably dozens and dozens of churches in my life. What you find is there's this pattern that churches have problems. Churches have challenges. Churches have struggles. And so I pick up from one church and go to another, and I do have a, a blank sheet of paper there, but pretty soon that paper's dirty too. And if my solution is to get up and move, or my solution is to back out and not be a part of a church at all, I quickly find myself in a place that God has not called me to. I believe with all my heart that God has called us to family, to deep connection. And I don't know if the people of God, because everybody wants you to come to my church and come to my church and come to my church, if we've really weighed the cost of that, the dysfunction and the fracturing of the body of Christ. And so I'm saying to you, church family, there may be a time that God asks you to leave our church. And if so, I hope you do it if God's calling you to do that. But I hope you don't slap God's name on something that's just you not having the forbearance and the patience and the perseverance and the love to live it out. And if you're here, but you're supposed to be somewhere else and you just left there because it was too hard, I hope that this takes you back to where you should be, to make things right where they should be. Because I believe one of the enemy's most effective strategies against the church today is for us to call ourselves family. Oh, my church is my family. But act like that means very little. Family. To turn church into a self-focused exercise of whenever it's convenient, I'll go. 
Whenever I'm comfortable, that's where I'll be. Instead of digging into real relationships with one another. Every relationship you have in your life that matters is messy, isn't it? Anybody have the perfect relationship? It's never a problem. It never gets funky. Everything's always good. Anybody have that relationship? Well, I've seen some on TV. Of course we don't. Real relationships that deeply matter are relationships that are bumpy and that we get bruised from. It got me thinking this week about shoelaces. That's a little weird, but... It got me thinking about shoelaces because yesterday I had firewood dumped in my backyard and I'm stacking it up. And every, every time I have a couple pieces of firewood in my arms, I would step on one shoelace and untie it. It was like, it was ridiculous how uncoordinated I was yesterday in untying my shoes. And you know what I did? I debated about whether it was worth it to put down the wood and tie my shoe or not. You know what I mean, Right. Like, is it worth it or not? Experience has taught me that if you leave a problem like that, because it's like, it's just a minor thing. It's just an untied shoelace. What you're going to find is in your worst possible moment, it trips you up. And it would be so much simpler just to take care of it, right? And I think sometimes that's the way we are in relationships. Our shoelace gets untied in, in a relationship, and it's just a simple problem to fix. But we're like, yeah, it's just a little problem. It's no big deal. And we just leave it. And then later on, we find ourselves loaded down with life, and it, that relational problem that seemed small trips us up, and it would have been easy to address. Other times, relational problems are probably a lot more than an untied shoelace. They're more like a, a broken ankle or something. And there are moments where you need more than just bend down and tie your shoelace. You need get to a doctor, get a cast on that thing, let it heal, have the experts help you out. You need help. You need crutches to get around and things like that. So there are times where relationships find themselves in dangerous, unbalanced places. And if we just leave that go, because we're overwhelmed, we don't know what to do, we're a little bit hopeless about fixing it, it causes damage. It causes damage in our own souls, in disconnectedness. And it causes damage in people around us. I've seen churches that are in upheaval because people didn't know how to deal with relational wounds, problems, struggles, offenses, harsh words amongst one another. We have, as the Church of Jesus Christ, I'll say locally here, Hope Christian Fellowship, and universally the church around the world, we have really important work to do. We have the most important job in all of history. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and died and rose again so that lost people could be found, so that dead people could come to life, so that broken people could be healed, so that people who were enemies of God could become sons and daughters of God. There is nothing in this world, in all of history, that is a bigger responsibility than that. But we get debilitated because of relationships. Because we don't know how to deal, because we cannot seem to get around, and because we find an easier pathway to just brushing them aside. Relationships that aren't right can be like those untied shoelaces and just trip us up. Jesus says in this passage, if church matters to you, if the family of God matters to you, then 
right relationships matter more. And I don't want you to miss that. What he says is, if the task of the church matters to you, and if being a part of what God has designed, the body of Christ, there is no New Testament Christianity where Christians are like, well, I just worship God wherever I am. That is not anywhere in the New Testament. I challenge you, if you have come to the place where church has wounded you and you've been discouraged to the place where you're not coming to church regularly anymore, I challenge you to go to the the word that your king, that you serve, has given you. Your savior who died for you has given you and show me where I just worship God on my own. Shows up in the New Testament. It doesn't. It's never there. And I'm not saying that churches shouldn't do a better job but not killing people but also we need to recognize the priority of being together as the family of god and so jesus says if this matters to you and it should matter to all of us then right relationships matter what he says deeper than that is without a heart to restore relationships that are broken we are not really living as members of jesus kingdom think about this jesus is saying to you If you don't have a heart to restore relationships that are broken, then you are not really living like he's your king. That's what he says here. So how are we doing with that? We're coming off a discussion of anger and and murder and and treating people like nothing. This is the continuation of that. The first word we're going to read is, therefore. Meaning, what we just said about anger and being like murder and disdain, putting you in dangers of hellfire. Jesus' whole point in this thing is that relationships matter. And we should have a passion for seeing wounded relationships in our lives be healed. No matter the cause, no matter why, we should have a passion for seeing them healed. Maybe someone betrayed you or you betrayed someone. Hurtful words have been exchanged. Attitudes and actions have come off that have have brought wounds to the souls of uh, your soul or someone else's soul. And in the kingdom of this world, because in in this world and in humanity, we value how we look. I don't want to look weak. I don't want to look like I made a mistake. I don't want to look fallible. I want to look strong. I want to look right. And because of that, we tend to have a problem admitting we're wrong. We tend to have a problem diving into the messy work of restoration in relationships. And so Jesus says people of his kingdom should be people with a heart for reconciliation because we have a hope and our hope is that we believe there's healing and power available to any relationship where Jesus is followed and where Jesus reigns because our God is able Our God is able. So we're going to dive into these two verses. Before I get to them, I just want to give you two caveats because I don't don't want you to miss what we're talking about today because your mind is on something. Some of you right here have a relationship that is a big mess. And when I start talking about reconciliation, your mind gravitates right to that thing, right to that relationship. Maybe it's more than one. Maybe you have your... multi-opportunity relational mess person, right? So you have more than one that you need to to think about. But for most of us, there's probably a thing and it's been heavy on your heart, it's been hurtful and it comes right to mind. That is normal. I would suggest that that may not be the one that Jesus wants to deal with you about today. Maybe. If 
if that thing just pops right into your mind, don't get stuck on that one, especially if you've already kind of wrestled with it and wrestled with it and you can't seem to get around it. There are probably a lot of moments that God is asking us to get better at reconciliation because here's the two things I want to say. First of all, not all relationships are going to get reconciled. Even with a heart for reconciliation, not all relationships are going to get reconciled. We'll talk about that at the end today. Second thing is this, and this gets often misunderstood. This is not the topic of today, but I just want to say this because this is where things can get out of balance. Sometimes we talk about forgiveness as a means of restoration and reconciliation, and it absolutely is. However, forgiveness is not what a lot of people will tell you it is. It is not what a lot of you think it is. Some of you believe that forgiveness is acting like nothing ever happened. Something happened. And it represented a real problem. Christianity is not stick your head in the sand and make believe. Christianity is about a God who's powerful enough to address the what happened and why and to go after it. Forgiveness is not wiping the slate clean and moving on like nothing ever happened. Forgiveness is, I won't hold against you what you did to me, but let's talk about what you did. Let's find out why and let's fix it. If someone that you've let go of their offense you've forgiven them, does not change, does not acknowledge, and will not return in relationship to restoration with you, that relationship will remain broken. Forgiveness doesn't automatically put you back into a relationship with someone who has hurt you. Does that make sense? Too often, forgiveness is this flippant, easy thing where it's like, oh, nothing ever happened. There are people in my life that I've forgiven, but our relationship's not okay. And it won't be okay until we get back to the what happened thing. All right, so let's talk about this. Uh, Verse 23, uh, Jesus says this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. I'm just going to stop there. We're not even going to finish the thought. Therefore, therefore. So he's saying, just like I said, You said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry, you've committed murder. And if you say this, you're going to stand in in judgment. But if you say, you fool, if you speak to people and think of people as though they're nothing, then you are in danger of hellfire. It's a serious business how we relate to people. And so then Jesus says, now let me apply this. Therefore, If you are offering your gift at the altar and there, while you are offering your gift to the altar, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So let's let's kind of go into Jesus standing on a hill, talking to people who are sitting up on this mountain. Let's let's think about what he's saying to them. The grammar, that's hard for us in the translation, but the grammar is someone who is literally at the very spot where they're going to begin to make this offering. They bought their animal and they brought it. They've probably waited in a very lengthy line and their turn is next. You've been there. You know, one of those really long lines at like the DMV or Walmart or something like that. And you get your turn is next. You've waited all this time. And then it dawns on you the thing that you forgot. That's You left some papers at home or there was two more items that you didn't put on your list and Do you get out of line and go get them or do you just finish that and then? So that's the idea. They've waited in this long line. The only place that someone can make a gift like this, 
that we're talking about the offering on the altar is on the altar at the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus is not in Jerusalem. Jesus is way north, about 80 miles north near the Sea of Galilee. Now for us, 80 miles, okay, if I'm driving the speed limit or not driving the speed limit, it's about an hour, 45 minutes, something like that, right? But if you don't have a Maserati, if you're walking 80 miles, if you're on horseback for 80 miles, it's a little bit of a more significant journey. So there are a few times a year because of that long journey when God called all the people of Israel to come together, days like Passover and the Day of Atonement, the whole nation gathers together. The temple held sacrifices every day. But some people, like the people up in Galilee, they didn't come every day to the temple. They couldn't. So they made sure that they came on these high holidays. And so the scenario is, I've made this trip, I've got my animal, I'm in line with everybody else from all around the world, and now it's my turn. I'm at the altar ready to offer my gift. And that, Jesus says, that is when I remember that I've done something to hurt another person. I've wronged them, or I've betrayed them, or hurt them somehow. And significantly, I would say to you this is some, somewhere where we get stuck relationally. It's their reaction that has told me that they've been hurt. Sometimes, because of righteous indignation, we get so stuck on the fact that that's not what I meant instead of the fact that that's what it did. We get so stuck on, but you have to hear me. You have to hear that I didn't mean that. And what you're actually saying when you insist on the one that is hurt by something that you said, understanding that that's not what you meant first, is your hurt doesn't matter. My reputation matters. So Jesus is not saying that, you know, you, you know that, that you are absolutely in the wrong. He's saying there's something that someone else has against you. And it might be that their thing is mistaken, It might be that their thing is right. But Jesus is saying when you realize that, that's the the thing he's describing. He's going to give us a recommendation about what to do. We recognize that there's a relationship in my life where some kind of wrong or perceived wrong or thought wrong has been done, and there's a disconnect in that relationship. Now, for those of you overthinkers who stay up at night wondering what this person might have thought and that person might have thought, Jesus is not saying... You should stay up all night and obsess about imagining what everybody... He's saying, if you know that you have something, that someone has something against you, there's a disconnect in your relationship. It is obvious to you and you have brushed it aside. You've put it out of mind. And for some reason, at the altar, God brings it back to your mind. That's what he's saying. This is the moment that he's talking about. So I would say before we go on, People of God, because relationships matter to God, relationships matter to us. How much do relationships matter to God? Your connection with your creator is described as a relationship. And so our relationships reflect the very virtue and power that we are offering the world, relationships. And so if my relationships with other people are devastated... How can I say I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father? Relationships. So I think we need to get better in our relationships. And I think one of them is we need to own the fallout of our words. 
Maybe you said it in a mo- in a heated moment and you didn't really mean it. You still need to own the fallout of your words. Well, they should know I didn't mean it. Well, you should have known not to say it. So, I mean, we could go all day on this, right? Own your words. Own your actions and the fallout of them, even when people take it the wrong way. Because why? We started this whole chapter. The people of God are merciful. The people of God are meek. The people of God are peacemakers, aren't they? And we are salt and we are light, so we are different. What Jesus does here is go beyond what some of us do in playing this game. Well, if they have a problem with me, they need to come tell you something to me. If they haven't said anything to me, I'm going to assume there's no problem. Is that what Jesus said? If you're at the altar and someone shows up next to you and like, I got a problem with you, that's not the scenario he's talking about, is it? What's he talking about? If you're at the altar and God brings it to your mind, then you're responsible for being proactive in this relationship. You can't just shift all the responsibility to those who have been hurt You need to own responsibility for the relationship. Can you imagine if God said, well, you know, you guys are the ones who sinned. You guys are the ones that are the problem. I guess you'll have to figure it out. The heart of our Savior, the heart of our Father is to come after those who are disconnected and those who are broken, right? So we should be the same. If we're following Him, we should be the same. Well, uh, you know, I don't know what to do about it because I don't know if I've been hurt, if I've hurt people or not or whatever. God will show you. God will bring it to mind. And you just have to train yourself not to brush it aside. Well, that's their problem. I'm sorry you reacted like that. I'm sorry you took it like that. In Mark 11, Jesus gives the same advice he's going to give here, but the scenario is switched. Instead of if anyone has something against you, in Mark 11, it's if you have something against someone else, forgive it. And it shows you that on both ends, relationships around you matter to our king. And that the kingdom should have different kinds of relationships than the world around us. Ones that we are willing to do the hard work for. All right, so we're going to see what he has as advice for us. So we're going to keep going into verse 24. So if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift there in front of the altar. So you are in the midst of this. You got all the way to Jerusalem. And now you realize you have a problem. Probably the implication is the person that you have the problem with is probably not with you. They're probably back in Galilee. So he says, stop your worship. Stop your honoring of God. Stop your gratitude pouring out. Stop what God has asked you to do ceremonially. Stop. What's Jesus' point? Too often, Christians sidestep the nuts and bolts, the the rubber meets the road actions he's called us to because we can cover it with spiritual looking actions. We can go to church, we can read our Bible, we can pray, and we can say, just like we know is not true, but we say this, well, I've balanced out. You know, I, I, I know I've got this issue and this issue, but I've got these good issues and it kind of balances. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, stop your worship. Don't put on your spiritual face. Don't put on spiritual actions. Take a look at your heart. Now, thankfully, it isn't about how we come off. It's about God knowing our heart. So you can't fake God out. He already knows what's going on in your heart. You coming to worship without 
submitting to his leadership is not worship. Well, God, I know you've asked me to go make, make things right with somebody, but I don't want to do that. I'm just going to come and worship you. No, you're not. You're going to come and put on a show. And it's going to be empty words from a, from a hard heart. And it goes the other way too. If your outward appearance is not the thing God looks at, your outward appearance may not look that great. But Jesus says God looks on your heart. So he says, when you get to the, offer, when you get to the altar with your offering, stop. Don't sacrifice it. Clearly, he's saying one of these issues is more important than the other. The logical order is, I've made this whole trip, I've waited in this whole line, let's just get this thing done, and then let's go take care of the other thing. But Jesus says, don't get this thing done. Because the other thing, the implication is, the other thing matters more. You get that? The other thing matters more than this. So don't offer your gift. I wonder how many of us have that kind of heart for reconciliation. How many people value relationship like that? And it matters so much because of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. One of our core values is reflecting Jesus. We want people not to see us. We want them to see him. We take that from 2 Corinthians 5. We are his ambassadors making his appeal. We are his representatives. We get to represent Jesus. But the rest of it is, God is reconciling the world to himself and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. If God is a God who is concerned with reconciling people to himself, if reconciliation with God is the greatest gift ever given, then how can God's people act like reconciliation is anything less than a high priority? So we are called to ask people to be reconciled to God. We should be pursuing reconciliation in relationship. So let's finish verse 24 because here's what it says. Leave your gift there in front of the altar and then he says, first, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying, you're here on a Sunday morning. We're about to worship. Your favorite song is queued up and we're about to lift it up. And God brings someone to your mind where things aren't right? What's Jesus saying? Go make it right. Take a walk. Make a phone call. Would we do that? Is Jesus crazy? His point is, it should matter to us like that. We should not give ourselves the out that, well, but I'm here in church. And I'm pretty spiritual. And besides, it was their fault anyway. Because they're dumb. We don't give ourselves... He's saying, just like your God came after you, you should go after the one who has been wronged by you. He says, this relationship work trumps worship. Leave and go make it right. And think about what it means to leave and go make it right. It means missing the holy day, the day of atonement or Passover or whatever. It means getting on your horse or taking a walk 80 miles north. And then when you're done, turning around and coming 80 miles, 80 miles south again. It means a week or more of traveling time. Jesus is not saying, do this when it's convenient. Do this whenever the time is right. He's saying, do it now. Don't wait for the time to drop in your lap. Make the time to go and make things right. 
And he sounds like he's making it a prerequisite to worship. And I don't know that that's exactly what he means. In other words, I don't know that you are wrong in the wrong if you finish worship and then go make it right. I don't know that that's exactly what he's trying to say there. But he's trying to say it matters like that. And I think it, he's echoing what you hear throughout the whole Old Testament from the prophets of the Old Testament where they say, worshiping God while treating your, your, your fellow man horribly is not real worship of God. You are better off to leave off worship and go make it right than to stay worshiping and leave that wrong. We can't embrace looking spiritual while denying and rejecting the Lord we're worshiping. And so Jesus makes it clear here, we cannot disconnect our relationship with people from our relationship with God. So what's this all mean? Here's what it means. People of God, if we are going to be a part of the kingdom, if we serve the king, we will pursue reconciliation in relationships. We will pursue making things right with people. And sometimes it will work. People matter to us, but we love them even when we can't reconcile with them. We love them even when they can't fix what they did or even when they won't acknowledge what they did. What he's not saying is, get yourself all right before you come to church. Get everything cleaned up and make sure everything's in the right place. He's not saying that. That's very clear he's not saying that. What he is saying is, we should be people who have a passion to to see God's healing power unleashed on relationships. We should be, when we worship him, we should be embracing his way and his heart, even when it hasn't been fully realized yet. We see this example again and again in the New Testament. Paul, in the book of Philippians, talks about, hey, there are these two ladies that are having a problem. I I tell them to resolve their differences. Have the church urge them to get connected again. In the Lord's Prayer that we'll read when we get down to chapter 6, he talks about, forgive us as we forgive. That, to me, sounds so far away from what I see in the church where conflict leads to a move from one church to another to another without the hardiness of relational. Now again, some of you have done this, and so I'm not throwing a stone at, if you've done the relational work and God's brought you, I'm not in any way asking you to reconsider that. I'm just saying, if you haven't, if you've taken it too lightly, can we start following the instructions of our Savior? Our church's most powerful identity, this church right here, our most powerful identity in Christ is not the quality of our music, the, the, the people like the preaching. It's the way the Spirit makes us one. I have heard this again and again from people, people who don't know the Lord come in and they say, something's different about this. This place feels warm. This place feels like, I don't know, there's something about it. I've had other people come in, brothers and sisters who don't go to this church, they're like, the Spirit of God is here. Do you know what that is? Because that's before a note has been played or a word has been spoken. That's this. It's the power of relationship. And too often we think that this is secondary when this is primary. Jesus says, in essence, if we had some problem in the church and we preempted the whole service so we could fix that problem, that would be genuine worship. Because it matters like that. But I wonder if we have the heart that if we have the passion for that or if we are in some way disabled because we have all of these unresolved things all of these untied shoelaces relationally we won't bend over 
to tie them. Over and over, we've over, we find Jesus teaching this. People who are forgiven, forgive others. They can't help themselves. People who won't forgive haven't really experienced forgiveness. First John hits this theme over and over again. We cannot love God and hate our neighbor. So the challenge from Jesus is, how are you at reconciliation? Are there things out there where you've said something or done something and it's bothered you, but you haven't done anything about it and you need to do something about it? You may not be able to wipe the whole slate clean because you're a human being. But will you do something? Make something right? Will you take the first step? And I want to finish by just coming back to this reality about relationships. Not all relationships that we pursue reconciliation in will be restored relationships. But we should have a heart to pursue it. We should have a heart to initiate it. Jesus has a, 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 the same Lord that, that spoke those words in Matthew 18 has a little description. We've called it in the church, church discipline in Matthew 18. But I, I prefer to call it restoration of family. Here's what he says. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Uh, First off, I don't think this is just a simple four-step process. The emphasis here from Jesus that is highlighted when Peter says, so how many times do I have to forgive my, my neighbor? Seven times? And Jesus is like, you're not even close. Put a factor of 70 on that and you're getting there. The idea is that the people of God are people who restore, people who pursue, people who forgive, people who make things right. And there's that pursuit of restoration. Go to them. And if that doesn't work, take somebody else with you and go to them. If that doesn't work, take them to the church. If that doesn't work, set them out. Do whatever it takes so that the relationship will be made right. But the ending of that passage is, if they refuse to listen. And that's sometimes where some of you, when I said there's a big mess in your relationship, you've gone and you've tried to make it right, and they've refused to listen. And for you, you are not saying that relationships don't matter by leaving that in the Lord's hands. Sometimes we have to do that. By faith saying, I've done everything I know how to do, Lord. There are many relationships in my life where I've done that. I've done everything. And if there's something else I'm supposed to do, show me. I'll do it. But as far as on my end, as much as I can do, as much as I've reached out, as much as I've said, let's make this right, and they don't want to make it right, right, Lord, that one's yours. I'm going to have to trust you with that. Having a heart for reconciliation sometimes will leave us in a place where we are disappointed that the relationship wasn't restored. And that's okay. The effort is still worth it. How many people does Jesus offer life to that reject it? He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So we find ourselves in the heart of God when we pursue reconciliation in relationships and we don't get it. We find ourselves experiencing what our Savior experiences point is that's not where we want it to end up we're not like well fine i didn't want you anyway that's the point the point is we end up there 
but not because we didn't pursue reconciliation. If it does end up at an impasse, if it does end up they refuse, we still have a heart to restore and to heal. But it's a place where I've turned that over to the Lord. Living in that middle ground can be hard. And for some of you, you're suffering because you're living in that middle ground where you've done everything you can and it's still not okay and you wish that it were, but it doesn't seem to be changing. And that's where you say, my God is able, so I will leave it with him. And when the time is right, if there's an opportunity and if their heart will turn, God will show me and God will fix it. I believe that no amount of time and no amount of damage is beyond the reach of God. And so God can do it. And so I will trust him with that. This morning, all I'm asking as we close in prayer this morning is this. Will you ask God to show you where you need to make something right with people and then go make it right? Long ago, just this morning, whenever it happened, however it was, I think God will give you names and situations, and people that you need to make things right with. And I pray that you will do that. Not in a a way where you just gloss over everything and pretend that nothing happened, but in a way that reflects the heart of God to really heal what was broken. Let's be people who reconcile. Let's be people who restore. And let's not be people who gloss over with Christianity. Oh, we're, we're spiritual. We know God. We love God. And leave it at that. Let's be people who dive in to restoring relationships the way that Jesus calls us to because relationships matter to him.